today on CityCast Pittsburgh. You know, there's a lot we don't get to every day on the show. And that's why I'm doing a Vanna White gesture. You need to be reading the newsletter, too. So in case you missed anything, every Friday we'll look back at the week in Pittsburgh news. And we're starting off strong this week with the amazing CityCast team. It's Friday, February 25th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. I'm with lead producer Matt Stroud, senior producer Megan Harris, and newsletter editor Francesca DeBecco. Matt, let's start with you. What have you been following in Pittsburgh this week? I was fascinated by this city paper article about a woman named Allison Beam. She worked for Governor Tom Wolf and then led the state's health department and insurance department. But she left that job or whatever job she had last month. And now she's going to be a lobbyist with UPMC. I'm mostly just interested in this because I don't know if it should be allowed. I'm concerned about it. Apparently, there's a rule that public officials can't lobby before the government body they've been associated with for one year after leaving office. But is that enough? What do you think? Am I overreacting on this? It sounds really bad to me. Why would that be like a conflict of interest? Like you're working for this body within the state and learning everything that needs to happen for levers of power to change within the state. And then you go to, I know UPMC is not for profit. Technically. But it's something close (laughs) to a for-profit entity and you're going to possibly enrich them by getting them government contracts or expanding insurance rules to allow UPMC to sell to more people, et cetera. It just, it feels icky to me. The rich getting richer. But at the same time, it's, you know, this is one woman. I'm sure she's making a hell of a lot more money uh, with UPMC that she was making with the state. So, you know, maybe it's just a matter of like, you know, go get your money. Yeah, get that bag. Did y'all watch that show Dope Sick? They specifically like outline exactly what that looks like, right? If you go from a government agency to a private entity and how that can work. I mean, in the worst case scenario, obviously. Yeah. What character was that that we should have been following? (laughs) (laughs) Mapping that. I think it was the guy with the FDA um, who was like the lead regulator. And then he went to work for Purdue Pharma. Yeah. And help them get through all those regulatory challenges with through his connections Mm. and other things. Yeah. He like wrote the legislation that would allow Purdue to sell what it did. And here we are with the opioid crisis. Yeah, and let's not let's not connect Purdue Pharma directly with UPMC. Not I don't at think all. They're making <laughs> no, a little different. But I love a fictional example of something that we're seeing in real life, even if it's like a total extreme in one direction or another. You know? Yeah, that's how I need to connect things. I don't I don't know a lot about this, and Megan, I, I think you've covered this a little bit before. But I, I think the main concern is that UPMC continues to expand, continues to get bigger and bigger, and I think that there are, there are, there's legislation in the state that prohibits them from uh, expanding into too many markets, and so I imagine that's going to be part of what she tries to push for. Theoretically, you know, I'm curious about this too because just before the pandemic, gosh, I think it was like January or February of 2020, they had brought on this really powerhouse woman um, to be in charge of their tech ventures. So um, UPMC, for those that don't know, have like three arms. They have enterprises that does all of their like startups and software and all kinds of tech. And then they have the insurance and the hospital systems. But enterprises is wild because they have all of this funding that they get to put into all kinds of crazy projects. It could be... Hmm. um, 
medicines. It could be software. It could be like devices that would go in your body. So they like fund these individual projects that hopefully, ideally, do turn a profit on their own. And I've never been totally clear how they do that. <laughs> and it's still technically not for profit. They're very clear about it. I don't understand it, to be fair. Um, but they had just launched this new thing. And the woman who was in charge of it, Janine Conicelli, she was pushing for a pharmaceutical company. Hmm. And I don't understand how UPMC, or as she called it at the time, UPMC Pharma, gets to be nonprofit. Like that would be a fourth entity. I think it was something they were looking like down the road at. But that opens up a world of doors for what UPMC becomes in the future. Yeah, and maybe Allison will be a part of this. And I have no idea if they're still pursuing that. Exactly. This is a, yeah, there are just a lot of questions here. And there's this rule in the state that you can't lobby for, like she was with the health department. I think that was her last job. She led the state's health department. Allison, yeah. Yeah. Allison, yeah. Um, and so she can't, she left last month. And so she has, she can't lobby with the health department until the beginning of 2022. Three, it sounds like. And that doesn't sound like it's enough time to me. It seems like there should be some kind of legislation that, I don't know, five years less than that? I don't know. Well, I'm also curious, too, because it means that our state health department is now without a leader again. Right. You know, we had Dr. Rachel Levine who went to Biden's administration. Biden's administration, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, not that I blame anybody for needing a break from state policy during a pandemic, but, you know, <laughs> kind of a bummer that we're going to be on like number three in three years. Anyway, that's what I've been that's what I've been paying attention to this week. Megan, what about you? What have you been following this week? Morgan, I think you and I have a little bit of feelings about the same story. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm saying this right. The Tull Family Foundation donated $20 million to Swickley Academy. They say it's going to go towards academic and athletic enhancements. But if you check out their website, they say that like primarily they prefer to fund like lower income schools and like small schools that maybe don't have the resources to provide like really amazing education or educational opportunities. And like Swickley Academy is not that. So I'm curious how this happened. And I'm sure also we'll probably never know. I Yeah, I think it's all like a little bit shady because this donation comes after what, five, at least five administrators for the school were fired. That we know of. That we know of. Uh, not for any particular reason, you know, that I'm aware of, but it was, what, after a group of unaffiliated and anonymous parents sent a letter to school families and leaders basically mad that critical race theory could be taught in the schools. And those administrators and faculty that were let go were people that were associated with like diversity and inclusion in the school. Yeah, the timing just feels really squishy. Um, most of that happened, what, last like late last summer in the fall, too? Yeah, over the summer, over the summer. Um, and even, yeah, so the former director of administrations and financial aid there, like Douglas Leak, he's black, uh, was fired. He filed a lawsuit, a federal lawsuit claiming discrimination. He settled with the school for an undisclosed amount in October of last year, which, I mean, I guess get your money, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's our theme for the day. <laughs> get your money. But, you know, it still doesn't clear up anything. It's still, I don't know. It just still makes me uncomfortable. Not that I would, I don't have a child, but not that I would necessarily send my black child to Swickley Academy because I wouldn't want them being the only person. But now knowing that, you know, fame has pulled its support from the school. So it's kind of like what support do these underrepresented groups have at that academy. FAME is the Fund for Advancement of Minorities Through Education, too. They do mostly uh, work with, like, Black youth for access to college prep and stuff like that. Yeah. 
Do we know anything about the different kinds of contributions that the Tull Family Foundation make? Like, are they normally a conservative group? Do they give to conservative causes? I've seen both. I saw that they donated to both, like, equally to Democratic parties and Republican parties. So... Yeah, my question with this initially was that is this kind of a reward for the Weekly Academy for making the moves that they made this summer? Like, okay, you did this, you pushed against critical race theory in this weird way that you did. Um, here's twenty million dollars uh, as a as a gift. That's why I think it's shady. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's officially why, but also <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Yeah, it looks that way. Yeah. The Post-Gazette, the Trib, um, they both have stories about this. And in both of them, they say the Toll Family Foundation declined to comment for the stories. You know, uh, Morgan, you mentioned uh, Douglas Leak, who was uh, let go last year. I thought the Post-Gazette story was really funny in particular because they were like, he's a black man and was replaced by a white woman. Yeah. Which was just <laughs> a funny detail to throw in there. Funny, unfortunate. It's disheartening. I don't know what to say about it. I can't be surprised by racism anymore. And I can't be surprised that people don't want to learn and don't want their children to learn about critical race theory. Um, you know, people were up in arms about even just the possibility of it. And it just doesn't surprise me that it ends in this way for Swickley Academy. It doesn't surprise me that they've gotten money for it. I don't know. I'm really glad that you brought this up um, because I think it is something that we're going to be continue, continuing to talk about um, with schools across our region. And uh, I just want to point out there, there's a really good article, I think it was in Public Source, about how to talk to your kids hmm. about um, critical race theory. So we'll link that in the show notes. It's worth you know diving into because obviously, like you mentioned, this is something that's going to affect the the community and what they learn and you know how they how inclusive and how people address education in our community. Thank you for that, Francesca. Yeah. And also, if you haven't heard of or if you don't know who Thomas Toll is, that's, you know, part of the the Toll Foundation. Um, he's also part owner of the Steelers, which I didn't know that until I did this research. And apparently now owns a house in Pittsburgh close to Sewickley, too. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And a film producer for a lot of really popular superhero movies. I mean, it's too late. I've already supported them. So I don't know what <laughs> my blood money has unfortunately probably gone to this donation in some way, somehow. Apparently a brand new robotics program for Civicly Academy. Yeah. STEM. St STEM. You can fund STEM education and initiatives, but God forbid you learn anything about critical race theory. It's just questionable. Okay. Now that I'm out of my mood, Francesca, what are you following? Yeah, uh, there is this new study released last week revealing that Pittsburgh hasn't really prioritized the needs of those who need public transit the most, and they've instead focused too much on innovative transportation that benefits mostly higher income residents. You're talking about those scooters that we find everywhere across the city now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly that. But also things like healthy ride bikes and ride sharing like zip cars. The 25-page study, Mobility for Who? Rebuilding Bridges to Transportation Justice, was conducted by Tech4 Society. It's a student group at CMU. They did it with the advocacy group Pittsburghers for Public Transit. So I actually talked to Paul O'Hanlon on the phone yesterday. He's a wheelchair user and the immediate past co-chair of the City County Task Force on Disabilities. And he was one of the early members of Pittsburghers for Public Transit. What did Paul think about the study? You know, he sent me this letter that the Task Force on Disabilities actually wrote to the former director of DOMI, um, the Department of Mobility and Infrastructure, back in July of 2021, before the pilot began with these uh, with these scooters. 
and it really clearly foreshadowed the issues that were laid out in the study. Now he says the city has created a brand new transportation system that is not only inaccessible to many, but it creates more obstacles for people with disabilities. So, you know, the e-scooters taking up room on sidewalks is a direct impairment for people who who rely on those spaces to um, to get around in our city. Because at the end of the day, public transit should provide freedom of movement to those with the least amount of access. So I'll be uh, definitely keeping a lookout on how this study affects um, um, the new administration's, you know, investments. We already know that it, um, Mayor Ed Ganey canceled the Mon Oakland Connector project, which did signify an interest to, you know, kind of pivot those uh, investments into more equitable transportation systems. So, yeah, that's what that's what I've been following this week. That's really interesting. I'm all about the mobility for those who need it, the access for those who need it, and also getting rid of those scooters. So, why is there so much venom for the scooters? <laughs> I want to be one person who speaks in favor of them, you know. And I think one important note too is that where they wanted to put the kiosks for the scooters um, when they're used in, you know, an ideal way, where they're put back where they're supposed to be, um, was to allow people who are, you know, frequent healthy ride users in lower income neighborhoods and central city neighborhoods to be able to get around quickly in a really Really cheap way. I don't know. Have you ever have has everyone on this group been on a scooter? It's actually a lot of fun. Of course not. No. And I think that's probably why I'm so anti them. I'm not quite <laughs> You're such a Pittsburgher. You can't hate on it until you've tried it. I'm not I'm not coordinated. You don't have to be. That's the best part. Morgan, I am here with you. I, I just feel after last summer when they launched you know, they were like scattered all over the city, all over the sidewalks in the most random places. People found them on the parkway, um, you know, on the on ramps. It's just it. Number one, I think it gives people this like because they go pretty fast. So it gives people this like sense of that they should be part of like actual vehicular traffic. I've seen like teens out on, you know, the downtown streets like <laughs> at night zipping and zooming through traffic. It's just it's not safe. And I just... <laughs> <laughs> but they're not zipping and zooming. They can only go up to like, I think it's 14 miles per hour. Um, and it may actually be lower now. That's fast. No, it's not that fast. Not when you're on it. Um, <laughs> it's fast if you're on a sidewalk. It's fast if you're on a sidewalk. But yeah. the part you're supposed to use them in bike lanes. Like that's part of the point is that you use them where bike lanes are, per are permitted. Permitted. That's the word. Yeah, I've seen I've seen more people after maybe the first couple of months of of just utter chaos throughout the streets of Pittsburgh um, on those scooters. I now see people just primarily in the bike lanes, but summer, you know, is around the corner. Warmer weather's around the corner. When I find these people getting on these on ramps, I'm going to take a video and then we're going to come back to this discussion and I'll tell you why. they. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I'm still going to argue in favor of them because they are a lot of fun. You can get somewhere really quickly and especially for out-of-towners. You know, Pittsburgh's constantly talking about tourism. It's a really quick and easy, like accessible way for, depending on your your abilities, to be able to see a big swath of a town really quickly and like feel more immersed in it than you would if you were like hanging your head out of a car. And I, I will offer these scooters are super fun to be on. I agree with with Megan, and it could be a lot worse. Megan, I don't know if you've been back to Memphis recently, but there are these there are these uh, bird scooters and spin scooters that are just everywhere and no one puts them where they're supposed to be they put them like in the street when they're done with them it is ridiculous 
ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you can only like legislate so far for assholes, right? <laughs> like people are still going to like try to push boundaries and put them where they're not supposed to. That's been happening in, with healthy ride bikes forever. And they have a van that they literally go out and dispatch because they all have like little GPS trackers and they pick them up and they put them on the van and they take them back where they're supposed to be. Like that yeah. still has to happen. My first introduction to them was in California and like they have like seven companies all in operation and each city has to have like their own geo map, which is really interesting, like where they're allowed to be. Like the scooter won't even drive in some parts of the city because like it's just disabled on those streets, which yeah. Pittsburgh should do. But that's not the company's fault. That's like the city has to tell it to do that. So we're talking about something that is actually invested, you know, through our city but doesn't have any ADA accessible accommodations mm. from the beginning to serve those people when that, that should be the primary focus. I wonder whether some of these groups, Francesca, especially that you've been talking to, have weighed in in previous conversations, right? So like Domi, um, when led by Karina Ricks, who left, I think, last year, were vehemently against scooters and other kinds of bikes like that. Like they saw what was happening in California and how they were just being like heaped up. Right. And they were like, we want no part of that. That is not for Pittsburgh. We have too many bridges. We cannot deal with that. Yeah. So it took like three or four years for us to even get like one company. Yeah. And look how they acted. Yeah. We got to learn. Yeah, we, we have to learn. You're right. There's no way to actually know unless we try it. But and I believe that we actually had to change some laws so that Spin could actually operate um, its scooters on our sidewalks and different things. I don't know if they were laws, but city council did like mandate some restrictions around them for sure. I guess it's just thinking that this is invested by our city. You know what I mean? This is something that our city is putting investment in and we're, you know, we're going to have to deal with the fallout. Yeah. What Karina Rick said back when she finally did, um, you know, say like, OK, we'll try this was, you know, not every option is for everyone, that hopefully there is an option that meets your needs and, you know, that she acknowledged that there was a lot of expansion and adjustment that needed to happen. But I think that was kind of the way they framed it at the time. I also want to mention, as we're recording this, Russia has entered Ukraine. There's fairly sizable Ukrainian population here in Pittsburgh, uh, many who live in like Greenfield um, and the surrounding city areas. And so this has to be impossibly difficult news to take in if they still have family, friends, anything, you know, anyone still uh, living in that country right now. Yeah. Yeah. There's a pretty good story from the PG that came out yesterday. I think the most recent census data showed um, just shy of 12,000 people of Ukrainian ancestry that call Allegheny County home, maybe more than like 22,000 in like the larger several county region. But they just talked to a couple of business owners down there. They had some local shops and kind of what the mood's been since, you know, tensions have been ramping up lately. So also in the PG, in addition to the story that Megan mentioned, there was an investigation this week about oligarchs in Ukraine. And so like billions of dollars they invested into a ton of projects. Uh, the main one that's mentioned in the Post-Gazette article is a steel mill in, in Warren, Ohio. These oligarchs are no longer associated with that steel mill, but like the implication here is that like they were hiding their monies <laughs> because uh, Vladimir Putin might come take it and they were hiding, hiding it in the region. So very good piece uh, investigation. And we'll put it in the show notes too. Did you hear Pittsburgh is getting its own Monopoly board? It's going to include landmarks and pieces central to the Pittsburgh experience. That's a lot. And the game makers want to hear from you. CityCast team, what Pittsburgh place or piece has to be on the board? Lead producer Matt Strout. 
I'm gonna do the former state correctional institution at Pittsburgh, which is the former prison, state prison. And it's my favorite state prison in the whole state because it's no longer a prison. And my, my piece is gonna be a, a ketchup bottle, not Hunt's, but Heinz. Only way to go. Newsletter editor, Francesca DeBecco. First of all, if there isn't a pickle piece, I don't wanna play. Um, but I think Rick Seaback should be the Monopoly man because he looks like the Monopoly man to me. And then free parking should definitely have a chair on it, right? I mean, that's just classic Pittsburgh. Absolutely. Senior producer, Megan Harris. For streets, I want to vote in favor for our steep ones, either Rialto or Canton. And also, I think the wooden street in the East End could be really cool, Rosalind Place. For pieces, I vote either Dippy the Dinosaur or, like, obviously, a bridge. I have never been on that wooden street. And for me, I don't know how to play Monopoly, nor have I ever finished a game. I don't think I'm alone there. Um, but I'm going for the cheap property, the Bloomfield Sure Save, formerly Shop and Save, formerly, I don't know, it's been a whole bunch of markets. Um, but it's cheap and I'm going with it. And to keep with the theme, my piece could be one of the e-scooters. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. You know the team. Music is by Benji. I'm your host, Morgan Moody. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend. Your reviews help us so, so, so very much. And we'll be back Monday with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend. I'm done. I'm melting down. (laughs) 